morning. Let's uh, turn to Daniel chapter 9 this morning. Daniel chapter 9. And I did not do a PowerPoint this morning, and I, I was intentional in that. It's not that I ran out of time or didn't have the wherewithal to do that. This is a prayer. This, this Daniel 9, I'm just going to show my hand up front. This is probably my favorite chapter in the book of Daniel. And this is a very personal thing. It's a prayer that Daniel prayed. And if you've read already, you know what happens. Daniel's prayer is interrupted by the angel Gabriel. And I thought rather than going through this as a lecture, uh, a talk, and having point by point, that we would go through and feel this and, and pray this along with Daniel. As we get to the, uh, the end of Daniel's prayer, it's almost palpable. You can feel the emotion with which Daniel is praying. So I'm just going to ask the Lord's blessing, and then we'll just get right in. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you for the uh, privilege to share your word. And Lord, America is in much the same shape that Israel was in the days of Daniel. And God, we've not been carried away to Babylon, but Babylon has come here. And Lord, we don't, uh, this is a country that our forefathers did not know. God, this is a, a different time. But I believe just as you were merciful in the days of the exile, you could be merciful to us today, Lord, if we would simply pray and ask for your forgiveness. And so that's what we're going to do. And we just ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word Help us to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers, that we might be moved by what we read today. Open our hearts as we bow before you, and we ask these things humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. We get to verse 1 of Daniel 9. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, I probably just butchered his name. I practiced it three times yesterday, but. I just stumbled over it again. So, Of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now there are some, uh, John MacArthur would be one, and I love John MacArthur. But he says that Darius and Cyrus are the same person, but me and Johnny Mac are not on the same page with this. Uh, it says here that, that this Darius was a Mede, Cyrus was a Persian. And also notice in verse 1 it says that, that Darius was made king over the realm so that means he was not the top guy somebody appointed him and his name would be Cyrus uh, he was appointed and he's he's only over the realm of Babylon the realm of the Chaldeans he's not he's not over the whole Persian Empire okay and John MacArthur doesn't know who I am so you know we can get through this without any controversy whatsoever verse 2 in the first year of his reign now, again, remember that the Babylonian period has come to an end. In a moment of time, Belshazzar's judge, judged, and uh, the, the Persian Empire is now the, the reigning power. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, again, this is an eyewitness account. Uh, this is not a, 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 an anonymous person writing the book of Daniel or some forgery writing under a pen name. This is Daniel. He's an eyewitness. He said, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, 
the prophet, and he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Okay, a number of things we need to look at here. First of all, we look at the chronology. We're in the first year of the reign of Darius, which means that Daniel has been in captivity uh, roughly 68 years, 67 or 68 years. He's seen kings come and go. Uh, he's seen empires fall. Uh, he, he's been through many difficulties himself. He's now an old man, probably in his 80s. And uh, he, he's been reading the book. Notice he says he reads um, the books. It's plural there. So he has some, some of the Old Testament scriptures that have been preserved. The, the Hebrew canon of scripture is called the Tanakh. So not sure what all he had uh, at, at his disposal. But we know at least that he had the book of Jeremiah, presumably the Torah, the first five books, and some of the historical books. And so uh, he's reading this. And notice he says, whereof the word of the Lord. Is, is the word Lord all caps in your Bible? If it's not, you need to get a Bible that it has that, because that's important to, to show this distinction. When you see the word Lord in all caps in the Bible, it is his covenant name. Does anybody know what that is? Jehovah or Yahweh. There's no vowels in Hebrew. It's Y-H-V-H or the consonants. And so it doesn't translate precisely into English. The closest thing we can get to that is Jehovah or Yahweh. And that is the first time in the book of Daniel that he's referred to as Jehovah. And other times he's referred to as Adonai, Lord, or Most High, or God. But now, Daniel is going to refer to God by his covenant name, which is Jehovah or Yahweh. And it's going to be seven times in this particular chapter. And that's relevant for us because we need to be reminded that God is a covenant-keeping God. He's a promise-keeping God. You can count on God's promises. And he began to understood by books the number of the years where the word of... Uh, whenever I see Lord, I'm going to say Jehovah here, just so we can you know, draw, draw emphasis to it. By the word of Jehovah came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So, looking at Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 25, and you don't have to turn there, but if, if you need the references, I'll give it to you later, but... Jeremiah 25, verse 12, excuse me, verse 11, says, And this whole land, meaning the land of Jerusalem, this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar we know now, 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. Now we know from our reading that Belshazzar was the king that actually experienced the chastisement even though uh, Nebuchadnezzar had his own experience with God where he was humbled. He says, And that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. And I will bring upon that land all the words which I have pronounced it against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. Then we get to Jeremiah 29. And this may be a verse that you've got hanging on your refrigerator or over your bed. Uh, it's a very popular that, that people refer to and, and quote for great um, comfort and encouragement. We often speak that to graduates when they're graduating high school or going off to college. But in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse uh, 10, the Bible says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished, 
at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. This is important here. This was a condition of, of uh, experiencing the presence of God, the blessing of God. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord. Again, that name Jehovah. And I will bring you again into the place where I caused you to be carried away from whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So God promised in Jeremiah that after 70 years that he would bring the people. And Daniel, he reads the Bible that, as he has it. He reads the scriptures and he understands that the 70 years are almost accomplished. We're almost at the end of the road as far as the captivity goes. Now here is where Daniel, we can learn from his example. Daniel uh, does not read the word of God and then say, oh, look, I see that the time has come for God to deliver us. Now we're just going to kick back and watch God do what he's going to do. And, and, but instead, he's going to pray. He's going to turn himself to, to seek the face of God. Now these 70 years, if you've never read the Old Testament, then it might not make sense to you. But in a couple of places, Leviticus 26, Second uh, Chronicles 36, God lets us know that every seventh year in the land of Israel, they were to observe what they call a sabbatical year. And for six years, they were to plant their crops and sow their fields. And in the seventh year, they were to let the land rest. And that, was, and that shows God's concern. This is interesting to me, and, and maybe some of you guys that are into farming can really appreciate this. It shows that God cares not just about people, but he cares about the land. He cares about his creation. God cares about animals. He cares about all of his creation. And the, the, the children of Israel were supposed to let the land rest and not plant in those seventh year. And God said, if you'll do this, I will provide enough for you that you won't have to plant that year. It's an exercise of faith, much like the manna, if you remember. God told the children of Israel that it would rain manna for six days, but don't go looking for manna on the seventh day because you won't find any. But he would provide enough manna on the sixth day to allow them to stay home on the seventh day and rest. Same principle is at work. And just like the children of Israel did not observe the Sabbath day, they didn't observe the Sabbath years either. And so God, in essence, if I could paraphrase it, God says to the children of Israel, you guys owe me 70 years. Roughly 490 years, they had not observed the sabbatical law. They have not let the land rest. For that, and, that, and they've not observed the year of Jubilee. That's another topic that goes hand in hand. But God says, you owe me 70. I love you. You're my people. But you owe me 70. And what we'll see in this passage of Scripture is that even though God has a covenant with his people, he will still discipline his children. And he will still uh, be faithful to perform his word. So that's what's going on here. That's why, that's why the number of years is 70. Okay. And when we get to the end of the chapter, and we get to the 70 weeks of Daniel, you'll understand there's a, kind of, there's a play on this. Just as there was 490 years that they had not observed the Sabbath, 
God says there's 490 years appointed for you or 70 weeks, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So back to Daniel 9, verse 3. Daniel reads the word of God. He understands the time is coming for deliverance. What does he do? It says, I set my face unto the Lord, God, to seek by prayer and supplications with three things, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now, again, this may be a foreign concept to us. And remember, Daniel's a prime minister here. Daniel, uh, he's an important person in the government. And so normally his attire would not be sackcloth and ashes. But he's willing to humble himself. This shows a posture of humility. And I believe if we're ever going to experience, again, the blessings of God and the favor of the Lord, if we could truly say, God bless America, we are going to have to humble ourselves. Instead of promoting pride, we're going to have to promote humility. And we're going to have to, uh, you know, I'm not above coming in here with ashes on my head and wearing a, a tater sack. That's what sackcloth is, basically some kind of uncomfortable burlap kind of garment, sheepskin or goatskin. It's intended to, to, to show discomfort. Fasting is showing that we're afflicting our soul. When was the last time that you pushed back from the plate uh, for spiritual purposes? Not just to lose weight, but to humble yourself before God. Jesus said when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. I believe there's times when it's appropriate for us to fast and pray as we're led by God. Notice it says that Daniel set his face... I think a lot of times our prayers don't get answered because we've not prepared our hearts. We just, just rush into the presence of God and tell Him all about what we want Him to do and tell Him all about our problems, but we've not prepared our hearts. I believe we ought to prepare our hearts before we come to church on Sunday. Not, not wait till we get here and then expect our music ministry and our, our praise team and choir to work us up into praise. The Bible says to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, to enter into his courts with praise. I should come in here with a song in my heart. I should come in here with thanksgiving on my lips. And as a pastor, I should have preached this sermon to myself a hundred times before I come in here to preach it to you. I got to live this thing. I can't just stand up here as a hypocrite and tell you something I've not experienced and I don't believe myself. Verse 4, Daniel says, I prayed unto Jehovah, my God, and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. Now, we, that word dreadful has changed meaning over the years. Now, when we say dreadful, we say it as a derogatory thing. But, but he means an awesome God. He's a wonderful God. He's, he's awe-inspiring. Our God is a consuming fire. He says, I prayed unto the Lord my God. I made my confession. And I said, O God, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him. There's that Hebrew word hesed or hesed. It means his loving, his covenant loyal love to us and to them that keep his commandments. I don't believe we can effectively pray until we acknowledge who God is. Have you ever noticed in the model prayer, we erroneously call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's the model prayer, that it starts and ends with God? It doesn't start with us. How does the prayer begin? Our, not my, but our. It speaks of community. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And what is his name here? It's Jehovah. Think about all those compound names of Jehovah. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides every need that you have. God, 
God will supply all of your need. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the one who heals our diseases. Uh, medicine is great, but ultimately it's God that heals. It's God that gives the, do the doctors the knowledge to, to treat us. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the God who gives us peace. And peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it's being right with God, being at one with God. My favorite name, I think, is Jehovah Sidkenu. He's the Lord, our righteousness. I can come to God on the basis of who Jesus is, not on the basis of who I am. Hallelujah. The blood of the Lamb has been shed for me. He's Jehovah Sidkenu. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God in heaven is always great. Heaven is a theocracy. It's not a democracy. The problem is not in heaven. The problem is here. And we've been praying that prayer now for almost 2,000 years. And at some point, God's going to answer that prayer, and Christ's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll be a part of that. He says in verse 5, we have sinned. Notice how Daniel identifies himself with his people. He says, we. I hear this all the time. America needs to turn back to God. Well, I got a newsflash for you. America is not going to turn back to God. Who's going to turn back to God? His people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal their land. And America may be past the point of rescue. I don't know. But I'm just going to take one of these maybe. What if? I'm going to take the posture. What if God will have mercy on us one more time? What if God will send us one more great awakening? What if he will? Daniel and uh, Joseph are among two of whom the Bible has nothing negative to say about them. It doesn't mean that they were sinless, but it means that they were men of impeccable character, and yet they acknowledged their sin. I don't care how good you think you are or how good I think I am. There are none of us in this room without sin. None of us have arrived. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, John says, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We have sinned and committed iniquity. That iniquity speaks of the, the inward sin, the lawlessness, that, that sin nature within us that, that always craves to do the wrong thing even though we know what is right. We've done wickedly and we have rebelled even by departing from your precepts and from your judgments. How far has America fallen in three or four decades? How far? I think sometimes we're like the frog in the kettle. And I don't know if this is true or not. I don't, I don't intend to, to test it to see if it's true. But the old fable of the frog in the kettle is if you put a frog in a pot of water and you slowly bring him to a boil, he'll never jump out. And he'll, he'll boil to death. But if you take that frog and put him in a hot kettle of water, he'll jump right out. And, and the moral of the story is if we become conditioned, if we become anesthetized to evil, we will not realize how bad things really are. You know, the last day's church, remember what, and that last day's church is Laodicea. And remember what Jesus said to them? He said, you need to have your eyes anointed with eyes saved. You need to see because you've become blinded. You're so far away from God, you're lukewarm, and I'm ready to vomit you out of my mouth, and you don't even realize it. Because you say, I'm rich and I'm increased with goods and I have need of nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. That's the condition of the last day's church. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. I wonder if America is missing her altar call. But I don't wonder too hard because I think we are. 
missing the altar call. Let's keep going. The reason America is in the shape that it's in is because we've departed from his precepts and from his judgments. This nation, whether you like it or not, whether you want to revise history or not, this nation was founded upon godly principles. Our laws were based upon the word of God. That's where morality comes from. But what have we said? God, we don't want your commandments in the courtroom. God, we don't want prayer in school. God, we don't want to teach creation. We want to teach, that, teach our children that they evolved from amoebas and uh, monkeys and, and they became some higher order of, of, uh, of existence. And we've taken the laws of God and, and we've put our thumb in our nose at God. We've legalized abortion on demand. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's right. Leading cause of death in this country is abortion. Murdering an innocent baby. And partial birth abortions are the most heinous of all. That's when they take a baby that's at full term and stab a, a, an instrument into its head and suck its brains out. And you say, well, that's graphic, Henry. It is disgusting, isn't it? And yet we do that. And we say, oh, it's just a fetus. It's interesting, isn't it? They can find something that looks like water on Mars through a telescope and say, we found life on Mars. And yet you can hear a baby's heartbeat within just a matter of weeks with an ultrasound. We'll say, oh, that's not life. That's just a fetus. That's how far we've come. We've taken God's laws concerning marriage between one man and one woman, and we've made it whatever we want it to be. We redefined so that it will suit our, our own needs and our own agenda. And I believe right now we're suffering the wrath of abandonment. If you ever read Romans chapter 1, it says that when men refuse to acknowledge God, and that's what we've done, and we turn and we worship the creature more than the creator, it says that God will give us up. That's the wrath of abandonment. God will give us up. Three times it says in Romans chapter 1, God will give us up, God will give us up, and God will give us over to a reprobate mind. And the end of that, if you've ever read Romans chapter 1, is that not only do we do those things that displease God, but now we take pleasure in those that do them. We not only tolerate immorality, now we celebrate it. We throw parades in the street. And we brag about how enlightened we are, not knowing that we're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. God help us. God help us. Verse 6, neither have we hearkened unto your servants, the prophets, which spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers, to all the people of the land. Jeremiah and many of the other prophets of God, they warned the people of Israel. If you don't repent, judgment's coming. If you don't repent, judgment's coming. And they scoffed and they mocked. And they said, we don't want to hear this. Jeremiah was actually thrown into prison. He was thrown into a dungeon. They actually, one of the kings actually took the word of God and carved it up and threw it away. That's what we've tried to do as a nation. We've tried to slice and dice God's word and take the parts we like, throw out the parts that we don't like, and utterly rid ourselves from the tyranny of, of what we view as the oppression of God's word. But we know from Scripture that we're to trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs unto you, but unto us confusion of faces as this day. 
That word confusion of faces is an idiom for shame. Do you know that right now America is the laughing stock of the world? You might think you're not, that we're not because you, all you watch is the local news and all they talk about is COVID-19. Wall to wall to wall to wall to wall, COVID-19. I don't know about y'all, but I'm sick of hearing about COVID-19. It's real. You need to be careful. Don't take it for granted. It's not a hoax. And it's, let me just go ahead and get this out of the way here before we go any further. As far as the vaccine stuff goes, I'm not going to argue with folks one way or the other. I think it's a Romans 14 issue. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I don't judge you if you've had your vaccine. I don't judge you if you've not had your vaccine. Uh, that's a Romans 14 issue as far as I'm concerned. Just like all, the other, uh, medic, all my other medical decisions and your medical decisions, it's a Romans 14 issue. We've become so polarized. Do you realize that the division in our country is a symbol of God's judgment? Because Jesus said a house that's divided against itself cannot stand. The fact that we're so deeply divided as a nation is an evidence that the wrath of God is manifested in our country. You can't talk about anything on social media without it turning into a fight. Have you noticed that? That's why I post pictures of puppy dogs and bacon. <laughs> And babies, you know, because if you bring up something about politics, it's going to be a, 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 a barroom brawl, right? It's, it's going to be because we're all so hypersensitive and we want to blame each other for what's wrong in the country. We want to blame the politicians for what's wrong in the country. The problem is not with the politicians. The problem is with us. We are the reason. O oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but unto us confusion of face. To the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries where you've driven us, driven them because of the trespass that they've trespassed against you. Notice Daniel says, the reason we are in captivity right now, the reason we're having such a hard time is because of our sin. It's not because we lack education. It's not because we lack government funding. It's not because we, we don't have enough programs or incentives. It's because we refuse to hear God. O oh Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him. You say, well, Henry, you've been preaching some doom and gloom. No, I'm about to offer you some hope. There's hope because we serve a God of infinite love and forgiveness. We serve a God that loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us that we might have life. Neither have we obeyed the voice of, of Jehovah, our God, verse 10, to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Notice how honest Daniel's getting. We're never going to get our prayers answered until we get honest, until we stop calling sin mistakes or choices rights and start calling it what it is yea all Israel have trans transgressed thy law even by departing that they might not obey his voice therefore the curse is poured out upon us and the oath that is written in the law of Moses the servant of God because we have sinned against him notice again he says the reason we're in the mess that we're in you can trace it back to the decisions that we've made we can go back and see where we went wrong if I had time I could go through some things that have happened in the recent years in the history of this nation. And I can show you where we deviated 
And when we did, things began to, sin began to increase in the world and judgment and the curse. And we're living, people say all the time, well, is COVID-19 the judgment of God? I'll leave that for you to decide because I'm not God. But I'll tell you what, it sure feels like a pestilence, doesn't it? The Bible says that pestilence would be one of the results of those who, repent, who fail to repent. You can read it in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. God said, if you, if you don't obey me, I'll send pestilence. That, that does not mean that everybody who has gotten COVID is living in sin, okay? That means that we collectively are dealing with something that is an issue, and I believe... If I could connect the dots, it wouldn't take me, uh, a rocket scientist, to see we're under the chastisement of Almighty God. We are. Verse 12. He hath confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges that judge us, by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. Let me put it in a way that you'll understand in light of our current situation. Daniel is saying we are living in unprecedented times. Does that sound familiar? We're living in unprecedented times. How many times did you hear that phrase over the last two years? Too many. What does it mean? It means we've never dealt with this kind of stuff before. Oh, yes, there's been plagues before. There's been the Spanish flu and, and the bubonic plague. All that. There have been plagues before. But we're seeing things that we've never had to deal with as a nation. We are more godless as a nation than we've ever been in our history. If you don't believe that, you got your head in the proverbial sand. We're more godless than we've ever been in the history of our nation. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Now there's an important phrase here you need to see in verse 13. Yet... Made we not our prayer before the Jehovah our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truths. So here's what Daniel says. God, you've been punishing us for almost 70 years now and we still have not prayed to you. We still have. Now, you read one of the Psalms, they pray against Babylon. <laughs> They're praying against the enemy, but they've not taken accountability. They've not taken ownership of their own sin. And I see that happening in, this, in our own nation. I see it happening. I see it. We've been, uh, we've been under such judgment, and then they rolled out the vaccine, and we thought, oh, God, the Messiah's here now. The vaccine's here. And now we find out the vaccine doesn't work. You can get, still get COVID if you've got it. I'm not telling you not to get it. Okay, I'm not giving you. A pastor should not give medical advice. Go ahead and say amen. That's not for me to tell you what you need to do. Not we're doing all the stuff that they told us to do before, and it's not working. It's not working. And, and now our focus is on politics, and we think, well, if we can just get this guy out of the White House and get this guy in, all of our problems will be over. Hogwash. The problem's not in the White House. The problem is in the house of God. The problem's not in the governor's mansion. God didn't say, if those who don't know me will turn and... <laughs> from their wicked ways. He said, if my people, judgment begins, Peter says, not with the world, judgment begins with the house of God, with us. We, we, the pastors. There's a famine, there's a dearth in the land of the word of God. We don't, we don't acknowledge this because we live in, quote, the, the proverbial Bible belt. 
And you can go to a, a lot of churches around here and get a good Bible-based gospel message. You can. But it's not so in all parts of America. There's some places that it's tough to find a church where they preach the Word of God. I talk to some of my friends up north and they say, it's hard. I know people from other states and they say, we watch you guys on the internet because we don't have a church around us that teaches the Word of God. Pastor just gets up and tells three points in a poem. He says, we've not turned. I believe we're missing our altar call, folks. Look around you. Things are not normal. They're not normal. God's saying, look, I'm trying to get your attention. And we're saying, well, I just can't wait till I don't have to wear a mask anymore. Can't wait till I can go back to going to big gatherings. I can't wait till I... Listen, God is doing something in our world. Take note of it. Don't miss the day of your visitation. Don't miss what God is doing. The towers fell on September the 11th, and I believe that was God's last warning call to America. And for a moment, for a few days, we were willing to pack the churches out and pray. If COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us that we've not learned our lesson. Look around. This church should be full. This church should be full. With all the stuff that's going on in the world, we ought to be praying to God. And I know some people have uh, compromised immune systems and they're concerned about I'm not fussing about those folks. I'm talking about the folks who use COVID as an excuse not to come to church and they do everything else they want to do. If you go everywhere else but don't come to church, don't talk to me about how you're staying home and staying safe. Because COVID is not just active on Sunday mornings. It'll get you the other days of the week too. I hope it don't. It'll get you at Walmart. It'll get you in Food Line. There's all kind of other stuff that'll get you at Walmart and Food Line too. <laughs> just be careful. All right. <laughs> Verse 14, therefore hath Jehovah watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God, Jehovah our God, is righteous in all his works which he hath done. For we obeyed not his voice. Notice Daniel keeps saying there's a cause and effect relationship with what's going on. It's, it's not just all these things have randomly happened. But we can point to where we went wrong. And God is watching over the evil. In other words, God is watching over. And it says because he's righteous. Do you see that? Do you see that in verse 14? God watches over the evil because he's righteous. Let me, let me let you in on a little fact. Because God is who he is, because he's holy, and because he's just, he must punish sin. He must. That's the essence of who he is. He, his character is righteousness. And so even though you belong to him, there's a spiritual principle that is at work there. And, and the Bible says God is not mocked, it's written to Christians here, that whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. But if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. The wages of sin is death. And that equation is true regardless of whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or whatever, or a Pentecostal. The wages of sin is death. Verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renowned as at this day, we have sinned and we have done Wickedly. Notice how much ownership Daniel's taking over his sin. And notice Daniel doesn't say they, he says we. I don't believe we understand how much power one person praying for other people has. Elijah was one man. He prayed and he prayed and it didn't rain for the space of three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. The effectual fervent prayer of one righteous man 
avails much. Moses prayed on two occasions. And on two occasions, God was ready to wipe out the whole nation of Israel because they had sinned against him. Moses prayed, and when Moses prayed, God stayed the hand of judgment. Daniel is praying for his nation now. There is no record that anybody else is praying but Daniel. We, there's no indication that any of the other children of Israel are, sta- are, are setting their face to God with sackcloth and, sackcloth and ashes. There's no indication. All we have is the prayer of one man who has read the word of God and now he's responding to it. Do you realize that's what reading the word of God should lead us to is a response? I'm preaching through the book of Daniel, but it's not just so that we can satisfy our eschatological curiosities. We all want to know about the future, right? We all want to know what's going to happen. And there's enough here to satisfy our intellectual curiosities. Amen? I've enjoyed reading through the book of Daniel. I hope you have too. It's it's been enlightening and eye-opening, and God's showing me things that I've never seen before. But that's not, it's not just so that we can wow and amaze our friends. Like a magician who comes and he does tricks, but he doesn't pass the secret on to anybody because he, he wants to, you know, it's just all a show. We don't just read the Word of God so that we can know the future and brag about our knowledge of Bible prophecy, but it should move us. If we believe that Christ is coming again, if we believe that we're under the judgment of God, we need to pray and we need to seek the face of God. We need to witness to the lost. We have done wickedly. He appeals to the Exodus because God is the God of the Exodus. God is the God who delivers his people. He's the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. And we need to be reminded of that. In verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I beseech thee, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. And again, because of our sins, how many times have we seen that word sin? Because of our iniquities, the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are become a reproach to all that are about us. I wonder what would happen if we appeal to God on the basis of the, the, the birth of this great nation. At the end of this message, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar like I did last week. This is not a gimmick. I'm not going to ask you to do it every Sunday. But I want us to pray a prayer, corporate prayer, of repentance as individuals, as families, as a church, and as a nation. And I want us to ask God to forgive us of our sins. Daniel was one man and he prayed and God blessed. Wouldn't it be amazing if God just healed us of this pandemic and it went away? I believe he can do that. I believe God can make COVID-19 disappear in a day. And if he does... Are we going to give him glory for it? Or are we going to give credit to the doctors or to the, the science, which changes seem, seemingly weekly or daily? But anyway, verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. Cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations. And the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, before thy great mercies. You want to get real with God? You want to pray a prayer that moves the hand of God? Don't come to God asking for what we deserve. Appeal to God on the basis of his mercy, of his grace. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what Christ has done. It's because of his blood that he shed for me. Oh Lord, verse 19. Notice the verse. Feel the palpable energy here 
as we come to a close. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hearken and do for thine own sake. Oh, my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. He's saying, Lord, heal. Lord, hearken. Don't wait. Do it now. Just look, God. Notice that Daniel does not try to negotiate the terms of the prayer. He's not telling God specifically what he ought to do. And I'm learning this more and more in my prayer life as I, as I meditate on Romans chapter 8. And, uh, and Paul says, sometimes we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. But he says concerning prayer, we know not what to pray for as we ought to. I don't know how to pray. I know some generic things. I know I can pray for the lost and God will hear that prayer. I know I can pray the word of God and God will hear that. But concerning specific things, I don't know how to pray. And Daniel here does not try to negotiate the terms of God's answers. He simply says, God, look. I wonder what would happen if you're like me, you like to work out how God's going to fix your problems. Do you do that too? Well, God, I know exactly how you're going to work this out. And, and how many times has God done it exactly the opposite of how you thought he was going to do it? You want to make God laugh, just tell him what your plans are. Just, just get, you know, express your intentions. What would happen if we said, God, I need your help. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't need to know the whys of it all. I'm just asking you to look on my situation, to hear my prayer, and to have mercy. And what would God do if we just come to him without trying to outline the terms and conditions of our agreement? But just say, God, have your way in this situation. How many of you know God's way is always better than your way anyway? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. I believe when we pray, we pray too small. We pray about things and we say, God, this is a mountain. I really need, to, need, need you to move it. And God says, man, that's nothing for me. <laughs> You're asking too small. God created the world with a spoken word. There's nothing in your life that's so big God can't fix it and do even greater than what you've even asked him for. God always exceeds my expectations. I don't know about you. God, God seldom meets my expectation. He always exceeds my expectations because he's a God of the superlative. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think. Praise God. In verse 20, we're closing, I promise. And while I was speaking and praying, we're not going to do the whole chapter. I'm saving the 70 weeks for after homecoming. And we may take a couple of weeks for that. Greatest prophecy in the Old Testament. And, it, and I, I'm wrestling with this thing day in and day out. Pray for me. All right. While I was speaking and praying and confessing whose sin? My sin. Daniel's not perfect. But he, you know, D Daniel is the epitome of what a righteous man ought to be. Amen? And y'all sang about it this morning. I appreciate that song. Daniel prayed. We're Daniel is doing what he always does, right? He's praying. He's not too busy to pray, even though he's the prime minister of now the Persian Empire. He's not too busy to pray. He prays morning, noon, and evening. He says, while I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before Jehovah, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yea, what does the Bible say? While I was speaking, God interrupted his prayer. I believe far too often we're too eager to speak and our prayer is more like a monologue than a dialogue. We get down and we tell God everything that's wrong and we tell him everything we want and then we get up and go our merry way. Prayer should be a dialogue, not a monologue. 
But as he's praying, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision in the beginning, that's what we read about that last week, chapter 8, being caused to fly swiftly. Now, again, it doesn't mean that he had wings, because the Bible says sometimes we entertain angels unaware. And if they were winged creatures, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't stick out, they would stick out, you know. <clears throat> they always appear as young men in the Bible. Angels do. Fly swiftly. Touch me about the time of the evening oblation. That's interesting. The evening oblation. Why is this interesting? Well, because at this point in time, there is no temple. Temple's been destroyed. There is no evening offering that's taken place. But Daniel is so in tune with God, his heart is so wrapped up in Jerusalem and the temple of God that even though the temple's been destroyed, he's still praying. Folks, the world can change all around you, but we don't have to change. Now, we have to, you know, we have to grow and with technology and such, and we're not driving around in covered wagons and stuff. We have to go, kind of go with, with, with technological change. But our values don't change with the culture. Our morals don't change with the culture. If it was wrong in 1940, it's still wrong, according to the Bible. I don't care how more enlightened we, we claim to be. If it was wrong, it's still wrong. Daniel, he was taken to Babylon, but his heart was still in Jerusalem. He's still observing the prayer at the time of the evening sacrifice. And Gabriel comes. Gabriel is this, this angel of annunciation. We find him going to Zechariah in the temple at the time of the evening oblation, by the way. We find him going to uh, Mary to tell her about Jesus Christ to be, being born. So Gabriel is this, he's the annunciation type angel. And it says he flew swiftly. In the Hebrew, this is very interesting. The Hebrew, fly, that phrase, fly swiftly, it implies that he was, he was weary. Not that he was pooped and needed a nap, but that his journey was intense. Notice what Gabriel says. He informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and understanding. Verse 23. When was Gabriel dispatched? At the, the beginning of the prayer. Now, where is Daniel? Daniel's in Babylon. Where is Gabriel? Presumably the throne of God. <laughs> if you pray this prayer in Hebrew, it takes about three minutes. It took Gabriel about three minutes to get from the throne of God to Babylon. No wonder he was tired when he got there. He ran swiftly. He said, at the beginning of your supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show you, don't miss this, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. I'm going to ask you to come to an altar of prayer. I'm going to ask you to confess your sin to God. I'm going to confess mine. I'm going to confess the sins of this nation. I don't have time to enumerate all of them. We know, don't we? We know what they are. What confidence do I have that God will answer my prayer? Well, you say, I'm not a person like Daniel. I'm not a person of impeccable character. Well, chances are very few of us will ever attain to the character of a person like Daniel. I'm not. I'm not Daniel. I'm not Joseph. I'm not Paul or Timothy. I'm just a, I'm just a country boy that needs a lot of help from God, a whole lot of grace. Daniel came to God, and the angel answered him, and he said, Daniel, you are greatly beloved. Somebody needs to hear this today. God loves you. And his love for you is not based on your performance. 
It's not based on your performance. The book of Ephesians says that we, we have redemption through the blood of Christ. And you and I, we are, there's a phrase that I love. He said, we are accepted in the beloved. That means we are received, God receives us on the basis of his dear son in whom he is well pleased. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when God sees you, he doesn't see that mess that we are. We're dust. We're fallible. We have a sin nature. God doesn't see that. What he sees is the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this altar call, you don't need to be here praying for America. You need to be praying for the salvation of your own soul. God said, if my people, which are called by my name, God's asking Christians to pray for this country. If you're not saved, your prayer needs to be this. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not complicated. You don't have to go through a 12-step program. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to sign a card or shake the preacher's hand. You simply come to God and humbly say, God, have mercy on me. I have sinned against you. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Come live inside of me. It's, it's not hard, folks. You come and you do that, and God will hear your prayer. That's one thing. We have a guarantee. God always hears the prayer of the humble that cry out for mercy. God will always hear that prayer of a sinner who comes to him and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And the only reason you would even want to come to God is because God has drawn you, because Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him by the Spirit. Would you stand this morning? Thank you for your attentiveness to the Word of God. Let's not let it go in one ear and out the other. I'm going to ask you as many as will, come. And let's ask God to have mercy. Let's don't ask him to bless America. This is not a time to ask him to bless us. Let's come and ask God to forgive us of our sins and to have mercy on us. And to make us again. It's on all of our currency. It's on all of the, the nomenclature of our documents. That we would once again become one nation under God. Jehovah, would you come?